Producer Michael Miracle here, and before we get into today's podcast, I'd like to quickly invite you to join the I Work For Him Nation. Being a part of the nation is all about being Jesus in your workplace, because you may be the only Jesus your coworkers and employees may ever meet. So, head to our website, iworkforhim.com, and click on the nation flag, then prayerfully consider joining the nation. We'd love for you to join us in this workplace movement. Thanks again for listening. Here's today's podcast. You've tuned into the fastest one hour in Christian talk radio. Thanks for tuning into I Work For Him today. Whether you're listening to us online, live, repeat, however you're hearing the show today, just know that we have prayed for you. That something we say in this show today will cause you to dig deeper into your faith and to connect them what you heard on Sunday with what you do in your 9 to 5. Check us out online at iworkforhim.com. Always new information out there, new shows out there. And if you miss one, they're always out there as an archive. So here's a question for you. What do you do if you're the person that's staring out your office window asking yourself, is there more to this than just Is there more to life than just work? What if you're frustrated because your work is no longer your passion? What if your heart is being transformed towards a mission, maybe a more mission-minded focus, but your current position is a roadblock to allowing your faith to grow? What if you're presented with a huge task and only faith can take you to the finish line? That's really where God wants us all to be. How do you move up from just making money to making a difference? Two words. Trade up. Today we have in studio with us Dean Niwolny. Dean is the president of Halftime, the Halftime Institute. You've heard a lot about Halftime on I Work For Him. Dean Niwolny, welcome back to I Work For Him. Well, thanks, Jim. Great to be here. So we're going to talk about your book mm. because you got this book rolling out in three weeks That's right. from, from today. And so I know it's not out yet, but we're going to talk about your book. But I really want to just ask you this question. Okay, you've been at Halftime. You've been the president of Halftime now. Is it six or seven years? Seven. Seven years. What has God done using halftime that's amazed you? Yeah, I, I'll just tell you, halftime, uh, the amazing thing over seven years that I've seen is from the marketplace, you see folks focus on things that they think are going to bring them happiness. It's the money, it's the material things, it's those things that in the marketplace they think is going to bring them all this happiness. And at the end of the day, it's somewhat empty. And what I've seen over seven years is when the halftimer figures out their sweet spot, God's sweet spot for their life, their Ephesians 2.10 calling, there is this joy, impact, and balance that you just can't really achieve if you're focused totally on yourself in the marketplace going after the things that the world wants you to go after. Well, and it's that paradigm shift. I mean, you're it, talking about a permanent paradigm shift. It sure is. And when you see those lights, the light bulb go off in somebody's mind and their eye, when you see it, I, how many times have you seen it? I mean, maybe that's a better question. When you, what does it look like when you see that light bulb go off? I mean, how are people's lives impacted when they finally get it? Yeah, it's grown men and women who've achieved all the success in the marketplace come and in, in, in get aligned with God's calling. They make eye contact with God. They get aligned with his calling, and literally tears flow out of their eyes. It is amazing. We talk about this around the halftime offices all the time. These men and women will come to halftime, and probably have not shown a whole lot of emotion in the marketplace, but they get to halftime, they make eye contact with God, they get their assignment from God, and there's this incredible sense of emotion that I'm, I'm now aligned with what the creator of the universe wants me to do for the rest of my life. Well, and we've spent so much time in our positions being frustrated 
and and thinking that, well, if I just get the next position, I'll feel a lot better about it. But all, all we really realize, and you've done this because you've been a high-level executive, you get to these higher positions, and all it does is suck more life out of you. It does. It does. And and for those folks who get to this point of halftime, the next pat on the back, the next car, the next promotion, whatever it is, just it's it's empty. It's not what it used to be. So that's the time when people kind of look in the mirror and say, I think I'm in this season of halftime. And for me, that's what that's what happened in 2006. Really, it was stewing in me for a number of years up until 2006. But I finally looked out my office window one day and said, God, there has to be more to life than this. Mm. And actually, I got to the point where I was helping others take the role that I was in position to take. And I didn't want the role. I didn't want the promotion. I wanted to do something more with my life. (laughs) So your book, Trade Up, is about ready about ready to be released by Baker Publishing. How fun is it to be able to look back as you wrote your story? Because the first half of the book is your story, and the second half is really helping people guide through that halftime experience. But when you look back and document what the Lord has done in your life, how fun was that to put that in writing? Yeah, you know, when you're going through it, you're wondering why certain things are happening. They make no sense at the time, quite honestly. And uh, it's just fun to look back on why things happen. And all of a sudden you begin to see, boy, the dots actually do connect. That did actually make sense. Didn't make sense at the time. But it makes sense now as I look back and connect all the dots. So to go back on in, in history, if you will, in my own life and, and write this book was challenging but also a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. There's a lot of people listening today who goes, oh, you mean someday I'll be able to connect the dots? I'll be able to see the picture? Mm-hmm. I don't think that's a guarantee for everybody. But mm-hmm. I, I think that we get it far enough down the road, we'll be able to see the path that the Lord has taken us on. I don't, I don't know that you've I, – because I've, I've seen in my own life, I've seen, okay, well, I see where the Lord took me, and I know how I ended up on the radio. But I, I don't know what the end game is, but it's nice to be able to see some of those dots connected. Well, I remember back in 2004, 2005, I had an opportunity to move firms with this large uh, company. And uh, my wife loved living in or had loved the idea of living in Southern California. We lived in Chicago at the time. And her dream. <laughs> yeah. Southern California look a lot better than <laughs> Chicago. <laughs> Mostly in the winter. In the winter. That's oh, my right. gosh. Chicago in winter is a brutal town. Well, we were offered this incredible job, uh, and uh, my wife was very excited about it. And uh, about two weeks after being offered the job, I got a call, and they said, Dean, we don't know how to tell you this, but our accounting department just decided that we no longer are going to make that a district. We have to rescind the job offer. Well, at the time, you're wondering, what in the world? Why did that happen? You have no idea until... 10 years later, and now I connect the dots backwards, God had it all planned out. There was a reason for it. But at the time, it may not make sense. Now it does. Well, and your wife was probably, I was finally going to get away from the winters. (laughs) That's right. Well, at least Lisa now has winters in Texas, which are significantly, a significant improvement over Chicago. There is no doubt about that. But you still get some snow. Do you get snow this year in Dallas? No snow this year. But the very first uh, uh, winter that we were there, we had the snowstorm when they had the Super Bowl in Dallas. She was. I had friends went to that Super Bowl. Yeah, that was hilarious. Not not for me. It was funny for me. It wasn't funny for them. <laughs> so, 
you know, Bob Buford launched this ministry. It's over 20 years ago now, right? That's right. Well, he wrote the mm-hmm. book. It's like 20, it's about 20 years ago it's been released, right? A little bit over 20, but that's okay. right. So he launched the ministry at Halftime Institute 20 years ago by writing his book, Halftime, which I read January 2004, and it, and it touched my life. His story touched your life mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. And literally, you said now it's been sold a million times or given away a million times? It's been sold almost a million times then. You know, many people hand it around, so oh, it's probably three million times. Yeah, I buy a box at a time. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I always have some in my trunk to give away yeah. to people. I mean, if sure. you, I'll show you the, I'll show you the, the closet later. That's got half to. I mean, I, I literally always have a hundred of them sitting here because you never know when you're gonna give them away. <laughs> well, we was, appreciate that. Uh, that's good. No problem. <laughs> I got to give them away to a whole group of college students. Martha and I were speaking mm-hmm. to a, a graduating class at a Christian college here in Tampa Bay, mm-hmm. and I gave everybody in the room a book of half time. I said, "Don't waste your time." Don't, you don't have to wait 20 years to read this book. Read it now. Jim, I'm telling you, what we have learned uh, over the years at halftime is when halftime started 20 years ago, there was this sweet spot, if you will, in midlife, the 45 to 60-year-old. It's no longer that. People want to be significant now. Right we out of the gate. Right out of the gate. Yeah, the millennials are craving that, that they want they want to know that their job has meaning and purpose. They want to know they work for somebody that is transparent and vulnerable. They want to make sure that they want to make sure it's real. That's right. And, and they're very particular about their faith too. They want their faith. Show me it's real. Yeah, that's right. And it and this whole idea of going from success to significance, it's I want to be significant. I want to be successful, too, in a lot of cases, but I want to be successful and significant at the same time. Right, significant in my success. Yeah, yeah And, and, that's and right. I think that's really where, where it's at today. People are really craving that significance in their success Yeah. because the world has promoted success without any significance, just success for the sake of crazy uh, abundance of whatever. I mean, it, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. Where the world is craving. All right. Dean Niewolny. You can find out more about Halftime online at Halftime.org. Halftime.org. Yes, that Halftime. The one that I talk about all the time on the air. The book that impacted my life in January 2004 that my buddy Bob gave me when I joked about being on my midlife crisis on my own schedule. Well, this man I'm sitting with in the room today in the studio, Dean Niewolny, he gets the privilege of leading Halftime each and every day. Dean, what was it about that book? When you read Bob Buford's book, Halftime. What was it about his story that stuck in your gut and said, hmm, I want that? Yeah, there's a variety of things that stuck with me. One is at that season of life for me, it was all about me. It wasn't about others. And uh, I, m- my focus every day was how much money could I make? How much in material possessions could I accumulate? And when I read that book, it was like, wow, this guy is giving himself away. The tagline for halftime is going from success to significance. But for Bob, when you spend time with him, it's really going from success to significance to ultimate surrender. And when I read that book, Bob was trying to get to this point of ultimate surrender, and he was well on his way to doing that. But what I've really learned since meeting Bob, so the the answer to the question, Jim, for me was this idea of surrendering and serving others, serving in the areas that Jesus cares about. That's what Bob was doing, and that's what I wanted to do instead of serving myself. Right. So what I've learned after spending seven to eight years with Bob is that he is a man of humility. He is just a humble gentleman who does truly, truly care about others much more than he cares about himself. I've learned so much from him that way over the last seven years that 
it's not about me, and it's really about serving with an open hand and saying, Lord, I surrender to your will, whatever your will is. I want to serve you. Well, and I don't think you can be fully surrendered to the Lord unless you're really humble because it, it's very humbling to fully surrender to the Lord. <laughs> That's right. Because you realize, wow, you really have nothing in you that can really serve the Lord without the Lord giving you the ability to serve him. Yeah. It, it's, it's a humbling process. <laughs> Yeah, I would say the biggest challenge to, for halftimers going through this season is really an ego issue and a pride issue. Mm-hmm. It's when you can release that and say, I am going to surrender. I'm going to release control. I want to make eye contact with God, and whatever, God, you want me to do, I'm going to do, is when you'll really begin hearing clearly from God. And, and I think we'll, we'll hear more about this later when we talk specifically about halftime, but what I know about the halftime experience, and, I, and I'm not gone through the Institute, but just that paradigm shift that I never realized that, hey, I could make my, my faith could impact my workplace, that my workplace could be my ministry place, mm-hmm. that, that I could do significant things right where I was planted. I didn't have to quit my job and go be a missionary in Zimbabwe. Which yeah. I, don't even, I don't know, does Zimbabwe even still exist? I know it did when we were kids, and then they changed the name. But, I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing that God can use us right where we're at, in our, even in our high-power positions. You don't have to give up a high-power position. Just, you can still serve the Lord right there. Absolutely. I, I would say there's two major myths about halftime, and, and here are the two. Number one, when someone reads the book Halftime, they read Bob Buford's story, and his story is leaving the marketplace going into the ministry. The reality is that 60 to 70% of folks that go through the Halftime Institute find their ministry right where they're at. They don't leave the marketplace and go into the ministry. So we help folks really rethink what can I do in my marketplace setting or in my workplace setting in order to make that my ministry and serve where I'm at. So that's number one. The second thing when folks read the book halftime it is this idea that i have to be wealthy in order to go from success to significance we all know that ephesians 2 10 says we are god's workmanship created in christ jesus to do good works that he has prepared beforehand it doesn't say for the wealthy it's for everyone everyone has an ephesians 2 10 calling everyone is given gifting that we're expected to use. So the truth of the matter is both of those myths are not accurate. I was writing in a blog not too long ago about that, that myth behind the fact that you know some callings are higher than other callings. And, and Ephesians 2.10 really does put that to rest. You know, We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. That's right. It doesn't say, well, but not if you're an alignment or not if you're a used car sales guy, or not if you are a janitor, or not. No, he says he prepared in advance for us to do. Each one of us says those works prepared in advance for us to do. On one extreme, there's a gentleman that went through halftime, and his name is Graham Power from Cape Town, South Africa. He read Bob's book in 1998, Halftime, and he decided to have a day of prayer in Cape Town, South Africa. That day of prayer has now turned into the global day of prayer where 300 million people pray around the world. So that's that's significant. But equally as significant is Sandy Griffith in Houston, Texas, who walks into a hospital and rocks drug-addicted 
uh, uh, babies of drug-addicted mothers and loves on them and caresses them, I would say they're equally as important. I want to transition to talk about your book. Hmm. The book is getting released in July, uh, Trade Up, How to Move from Just Making Money to Making a Difference. When you were writing, that, you would describe your story in there. And, and I just want to jump right to the part where you had a high-powered job on Wall Street. I mean, you mm-hmm. were working for a, a big finance firm, mm-hmm. which will go unnamed right now. Uh, how did you leave? I know you've been asked this question. How did you leave the money? Because that money is such a draw. Yeah, uh, for me, it is a draw. There is no doubt about it. I looked at the money piece of it probably a little bit different than most Hey, let's face it. I loved getting paid. I loved getting paid my bonus. But I looked at the money more from a a scorecard standpoint. I was using it to score myself versus others. I I grew up in northern Wisconsin with really not a lot of money. We didn't have much. So the money piece of it was nice to buy some of the things that I mentioned earlier. But the scorecard piece was more important to me. How much could I accumulate? So again, like I said earlier, it was all about me at that point. So walking away from a gym actually for me was a huge relief. Now others who go through halftime, there's a lot of fear there or concern. So giving up the power wasn't a hard time for you? Because it's the money's a draw for people, but then the power and the prestige is also a draw for people. There is no doubt. If you lose your identity, a lot of people are concerned about losing their identity. The beauty is I didn't lose an identity, really. I left the marketplace. I became the CEO of of halftime. So I didn't quite experience what maybe someone else would experience by losing that identity. But the power, there is no doubt that that's uh, addictive, Mm -hmm. the, the, the power. But so for me, it was just I had to rethink what was life going to be like going forward? And I, the way I thought about it is I had one person to report to, and that was the Lord himself. And so my focus was always on not myself. I really tried to focus on the Lord. So losing the power and losing the money, yes, it was, it was challenging, and it is challenging, but uh, I was able to work through that. How often before you finally flipped that switch and said, wow, I'm tired of the rat race. How often did Lisa come to you and say, Dean, there's something wrong. We're, we're disconnected. I mean, how, how often yeah. did she come to you and, and try to smack you upside the, the, the head to get your attention? Well, I'll tell you a quick little story. When I met Lisa in 1997, I mentioned to her at that time, I said, I really have this burning desire to go into the ministry. And she was like, yeah, yeah, that sounds great. And then in 2006, when it actually happened, when I went to home and said, I think it's time for me to move from the marketplace to the ministry, she said, oh, I thought you were just kidding when you told me that back in 1997. <laughs> so th- from 1997 to 2006, uh, I had a number of uh, uh, episodes, if you will, in my life where I really wanted to make the transition. And for Lisa, she wasn't there. Lisa's seven years younger than I am. And uh, she always thought that, you know, I know that he said that, but that's not really going to happen. So we had conversations about it quite often. So it, what happened, though, is that I prayed uh, that for Lisa all the time. And I said, Lord, if you want me to make this transition, Lisa and I need to be equally yeah, yoked. absolutely. And that's something that a lot of people really struggle with. I mean, but... But you have to be patient. So you couldn't make that decision right away. You had to wait until the Lord had moved Lisa. 
Yeah, that's right. Because what what happens and what happened with me is the Lord, the Lord wants me to go do his work. I mean, Lisa, you can't tell me no to that. The Lord wants me to go do his work. I'm going to go. Well, that's a disaster if you end up doing that. Oh, yeah. And Bob Buford said to me the very first time I met him in 2008, he said, whatever you do, stop. Don't go forward. Pray for her. Move forward when you're equally yoked. It was the best advice I received. I, I would agree. And having gone through that with Martha and the radio ministry, it's just like, I know, you got to just stop. you got to pause. Now, in your book, Trade Up, you start off the book with the story on King David. Mm-hmm. The day that he you know, t- comes to bring food to his brothers and their captain of the guard or whatever it was, their, their boss in, in the army, and he hears Goliath bad-mouthing the Israelites and bad-mouthing God, and, and he gets fired up, and he goes to fight Goliath. Mm-hmm. And, and, he's, and he uses words in, in the King James Version, is there not a cause? Mm-hmm. As he approached the battlefield, he's asking that. You found yourself asking that same question on the 40th floor of a high-rise in Chicago. Yeah. What's the parallel between David and Dean? Yeah. So is there not a cause? I, as I sat there in that office uh, building... I was thinking, what economic scale do I really want to focus on? Do I want to focus on the world's economic scale, or do I want to focus on God's scale? When I made the decision and realization that I really needed to change my focus from myself to God's focus, then I started thinking through, what are the issues that Jesus cares about, and how can I have some sort of impact in the kingdom? Okay, So for me, the, the, the question, is there not a cause, Absolutely, there's a cause. Everyone has a cause. Everyone has a passion. For David, it was to slay Goliath, right? For me, it's to help uh, leaders move from success to significance. For others, it may be AIDS. It may be inner city ministry. It may be the elderly. It may be children. There is a cause. So when you look at what Jesus really cares about, this idea of orphans and widows and prisoners and all those things, for each and every one out there, there is a passion that's burning inside you. And that's what we help at halftime with. All right, Dean. So you're sitting there on the 40th floor of a high-rise in Chicago. Was it winter or summer? Uh, it was summer. Okay, so it's beautiful. You're looking out at Lake Michigan, and there's no ice on top of Lake Michigan. <laughs> what caused you to to stop? I mean, most people, and I know 40th floor is not the top floor in any building in Chicago, but... But just to stop and, and ask that question, what was it that had finally gotten a hold of you that said, I, I, I got it, I got it, there's got to be more to this? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say it, it just was one moment in time, even though the 40th floor office experience was significant for me. Uh, it was something that culminated starting in 1999 when I heard Bob Buford get interviewed at uh, Willow Creek Community Church where we went to church. So that's how you first heard him? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's how I first heard him. And and I listened to Bob get interviewed by Bill Hybels, and I thought to myself, uh, you know, that's great for Bob and his friends. Mm, It's good for Bob. If he wants to live this life of significance, that's great. But it, it was still, Jim, all about me and how could I continue to, uh, get higher, if you will, on my scorecard of wealth, quite honestly. And uh, But after reading the book, after hearing Bob and reading the book, I really started to think, is this really the path and the legacy that I want to leave? I mean, if I died today, what 
legacy? What impact? What, what difference did I make? Well, I made a big difference for myself. I made a difference for my wife and for my kids. But did I make a difference for the kingdom, for others? Did I do anything of significance? And, and what happened in 2005 is I was invited to a funeral for an older lady who had passed away. And there had to be 500 people at this funeral. I didn't know the lady. She was a friend of a friend. And I leaned over to the person next to me. I said, why are all these people here? It's packed. And they said, because this lady spent her whole life building into all these kids. And it hit me at that point. Boy, if I died today, I don't know who would be at my funeral because it was all about me. So this, the, it, it culminated with this 2006 looking out the 40th floor office window saying, God, there has to be more to life than this. There just has to be more to life than this. And I want to follow you. And you just imagine, so if there's 500 people at her funeral, how many people were there to greet her when she walks through the gates and heaven? Oh, yeah. Uh, what a cool thing. And yeah. that's, and really, if, if we were all to say, boy, if there's one thing I want, I, I'd like to have a lot of people at my funeral. I'd like to see that I've impacted a lot of people. But when I walk through the gates, I want to see that I brought a lot of those people with me. Yeah. We do an interesting exercise at halftime. We do the 80th birthday exercise. So it's my 80th birthday. My buddy rents out a restaurant. There's a microphone up in front. 200 of my best friends are there at the restaurant. And each one walks up to the microphone. And the question is, what impact did Dean Nawalny have in your life? And what would you like to hear? And it's interesting when we do that exercise at, at halftime when folks go through the actual program because sometimes folks just stop and think to themselves, wow, I don't know what they would say. I made a lot of money for me. They might say, well, Dean was successful in the marketplace and he made a lot of money and he accumulated things, but he didn't really do anything other than that. So that exercise is quite telling. So what was that question again? I want to make sure the people that really heard it. What's the question you asked so them? So the question so is... So the 80th birthday party, people are going to come to the mic and talk about... Yeah. The question is, what impact did Dean Nawalny have in your life and in others? And sometimes, you know, the, the hope is that Dean spent his life building into me, sharing his faith caring more about me than caring about himself, so on and so forth. In many cases, people go up to the microphone and say, well, he was successful. He made a lot of money. He had two cars. I don't know what it is, but he didn't really build into anyone. So that, so it's important, mostly when someone's in their 30s, 40s, 50s and thinking, to their 80th birthday, what would people say about me at my birthday party? It's a good paradigm shift. Mm -hmm. You're like, hmm, what are people going to say? Yeah. And we have no idea whether we actually get to see 80 or not. But So there was a point in time, though, in your life where you said, mm, personal gain didn't equal personal fulfillment. Yeah. That's a pretty big deal because a lot of people think, well, automatically if I'm gaining personally, then I'm more fulfilled. Yeah. Well, where was the disconnect there? Yeah, I, I did not find joy. Most people, in, in my opinion, don't find joy, impact, and balance in their life by accumulating stuff for themselves and making more money. Now, you can argue having more money makes you more joyful. I would argue it's the opposite. I would agree, yeah. from what I've seen. Yeah, me too. And, uh, but what I have seen, 
is when people get crystal clear on their Ephesians 2.10 calling, when they're clear on what they're passionate about, and when they're clear on what God's calling is or the sweet spot for their life that God has for them, I absolutely see joy, impact, and balance. I meet often with the managers that used to report to me, and they're like, Dean, we just don't understand it. They said, you took an 80% pay cut. You're living down in Dallas. You left Chicago. You're the happiest I've ever seen you. Why is that? And really, it's what a be- great open that is. Yeah. Oh, hey, well, let me take out the lunch. It might take a while. Yeah. And, and by the way, on the flip side of that, I'm sitting with four of my pre uh, my former managers, who honestly are quite miserable, you know. But they're successful and they're making a lot of money and they have a lot of stuff, but they're not happy. So, so the idea of 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 really getting clear on God's calling and being in that sweet spot, there's nothing better. We're talking today with Deanie Wolney. He's the president and CEO of Halftime. You can find out more about Halftime and the Halftime Institute online at halftime.org, halftime.org. We're talking about Dean's latest book being released in mid-July, Trade Up, How to Move from Just Making Money to Making a Difference. That's, That's a huge deal for anybody, no matter how much money you make, no matter whether it is minimum wage or $100,000 an hour, learning to move from just making money to making a difference. You know, I, I don't want to give away all the stories, all, all the pieces of the book, because we've got to get people to actually read the book, because yeah, it's not going to probably be a movie, although maybe maybe there will be. You never know. <laughs> you know we, I used to have this, uh, uh, a song on before the book segment, hey, read the book, don't wait for the movie. It was all about read the Bible, don't wait for the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but probably not going to be a movie about I this. So I want people to read the book, but I really want people to understand what halftime is all about. Mm-hmm. Because the Halftime Institute has impacted thousands of people, just like the book Halftime has impacted millions of people. Mm-hmm. Because it's not so much about Dean Newolney and your staff at Halftime. Mm-hmm. It's about the movement of the Lord in our hearts to getting us aligned with his will. Mm-hmm. What he designed us and created us mm-hmm. to do and to be. Yeah. Because so many of us, we either had untruth spoken into our lives about where we were supposed to be. Like somebody... A mentor in high school told me I was supposed to be a programmer. Jim, you make a great programmer. Mm-hmm. Well, I was good at solving problems. Mm-hmm. Sitting in front of a computer screen 10 hours a day, not my thing. <laughs> Plus, I actually like sunlight. A lot of programmers don't. Sure. So, but, so you have to move past that what's been spoken in you and what did God really, how did he really create you to be? But these people that are going to Halftime Institute and are participating in what you guys are teaching there, they've come to that spot where they're going, I know where I'm really gifted. Mm-hmm. And that's not where I'm at. Mm-hmm. Or maybe I'm really gifted where I'm at, but I'm not making the difference that I thought it would make. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. And going through the halftime program, um, we are not there to help the person who's going through halftime. Well, let me back that up. We don't tell the person going through halftime, here's what we think you should do. <laughs> the person going through halftime figures it out working with the Holy Spirit, and they figure out where God wants them to be. We don't have great answers. We have great questions. Well, so that's, we, that's the most powerful thing. It is. It is. As people begin to process it, we'll have many people go through our program, and they'll come there, and they'll say, I'm not passionate about anything. I'm just not passionate about anything. And what ends up happening is that over the course of just a short period of time, they realize that they're absolutely passionate about something. And we, we ask people, what makes you cry sad or laugh i mean just think of things read the usa today 
from front to back for a whole week and what really grabs your attention what makes you sad glad or makes you cry we had a gentleman go through the program and he said i did that exercise it doesn't work and we said well what do you mean it doesn't work he said all i did was read the sports section the whole time we said perfect you're passionate about sports the gentleman started an inner-city sports ministry for kids in downtown Nashville. So sometimes wow, what fantastic. you're really focused on, you know, what really is, is makes you energized is what you're passionate about. When you see a Halftime Institute grad understand all of a sudden what they're really passionate about, mm. how does that impact their health? Oh, I mean... I, I can't really answer the, the health question from the standpoint of weight and all that, but I can tell you what it does internally and for their joy. Right, it's just like it's the whole demeanor is what I mean. It, it, it impacts because when somebody finds that sweet spot, yeah. they're changed. There is no doubt about that. There's no doubt about that. And, and it, doesn't, it doesn't just impact them, Jim. It impacts their wife or husband. It impacts their kids. It impacts people around them because they're a different person. They're more giving, they're more caring, they're more loving. I, I can't tell you how many folks come through our program who have no relationship with their wife or no relationship with their kids. And the very first thing, before figuring out their Ephesians 2.10 calling, we coach them to build the relationship back up with their spouse and with their kids. So when they... And that's all, if you caught them before they destroyed their marriage. That's right. That's exactly Because right. a lot of people that have had a lot of success in the world's eyes have already destroyed every relationship that ever made that was ever important to them that's right that's exactly right i and i you know when you look at what's really important on your very last day of life and when you cross into the gates of heaven i don't think the question is going to be jim and dean how much money did you make i don't think that's it i agree it's what impact did you have on my kingdom what impact did you have on others? What difference did you make? The other thing is someone really figures out their Ephesians 2.10 calling. The impact that it has on your children as they see mom or dad serving in this area that Jesus cares about. It's such a powerful ministry. Now, you can ask my daughter, not that I'm, I'm doing anything all that fantastic, but my daughter will not say to you, hey, my dad was is really successful in the financial services world she's going to say my dad helps men and women figure out what god wants them to do with their life that's what i want and that's powerful and that's what halftime is all about you got to check them out check them out online halftime.org halftime.org dean just released or he's about ready to release his is this your first book it is your mm-hmm. first book mm-hmm. trade up and uh, ladies and gentlemen this is it's a page turner because it's his story and then it's in the second half of the book it's how to help you find your story how to help you make your transition to move from just making money to making a difference, to move from success to success with significance, or and maybe down the road to surrender, full surrender to the Lord. Dean, in your book, you, you, you keep, and you've said it many times today, Ephesians 2.10, Ephesians 2.10, Ephesians 2.10. You said we're born to be part of something big. Mm-hmm. Why do you say that? 
Yeah, it goes back to what I said a little bit earlier, and that is we're born to be part of the overall kingdom of God and be and serve in our area of focus, whatever that is. You know, you can, you can make a decision in your life like I did, and that was at the beginning of my life, it was all about me. But something big is really getting connected to what your individual Ephesians 2.10 calling in that serves in the much broader kingdom perspective. So when someone identifies their Ephesians 2.10 calling and the Holy Spirit helps you figure that out, it's kind of like that idea is, is turbocharged and can have significant impact in and of itself. But when you couple that with everyone else in the kingdom focusing on the issues that Jesus cares about, it can have much more of a bigger substantial impact. I remember Rick Warren once saying, he said, um, if you don't follow through on your Ephesians 2.10 calling, the world will miss out on your contribution. Well, I think that's probably, that's where I was going to make a comment on that. If, if we all worked within our sweet spot, we all worked within our calling, we all were making the contribution that we're supposed to be making within the body of Christ, the world would be a, an incredible place. The yeah. kingdom, well, we're already bringing the kingdom of God here now, but it would be a more complete kingdom. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to, uh, a lot of people are going, well, I wish I had Dean's gift, or I wish I had Jim's gift. Mm. No, what's your gift? Yeah. What, what, what are those good works that God prepared in advance for you to do? Yeah, I have a, a friend of mine uh, that said, Dean, could you imagine if everyone on earth figured out their Ephesians 2.10 calling, we would have heaven on earth. I think that's the idea. Yeah, that is the idea. Which, you know, no, we know it's never going to happen to that totality. But even if, let's just say one church got it, where everybody in the church understood their unique spot, their unique place in the mm. body. You know, instead everybody's worried about being, I want to be an arm, I want to be a leg. Who's the corpuscles? We never talk about the corpuscles. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't talk about the tendons. We don't talk about the, you know, the the the, the marrow inside the bones. I mean, who are those people? Yeah. What part do they have in the body? Yeah. I think w- when someone looks to, at what their calling is, they, they immediately think that it needs to be something big and grandiose. We talked about this a little bit earlier. And the reality of it is I, I believe and I think I know and we all know that God is equally as excited if you're just working one-on-one with someone who needs to hear something from him mm-hmm. versus a much broader spectrum. I think really what I've learned in my 30-plus years of following the Lord is that his, the thing he's most concerned about is our relationship That's with right. him. Mm-hmm. Because if our relationship with him is a priority, the relationships around us can't help but be impacted. That's right. If you look at someone like Henry Nowen, the Catholic priest who ended up leaving this significant ministry that he had in New York City, and he went to a disabled um, program in Canada to serve one person there. He was serving one person, and he died doing that. I mean, he felt that had more significance, more impact than serving the masses in New York City. I want to hit you one last point. You mentioned that we all have a giant to face. Just like David had a giant to face. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I know that there's a movie facing the giants. That's not what this is about. But really quick, what, what do you mean we have a giant to face? What, what, what do you mean? Yeah, I think the, the, the giant to face is 
a decision that needs to be made. You know, David faced this giant, right? Because in order to face that giant, they were by, by him attacking the giant, if you will, it would allow them to move forward and make progress in what they were trying to do. And for each of us, we have giants to face in order to figure out what is truly our Ephesians 2.10 calling to get to the finish line. So my point in saying we all have giants to face really has more to do with what do we have to work for in order to strive to figure out what God's 2.10 calling is mm-hmm. for you individually. Final word to somebody listening today. you got 10 seconds encouraging them where they're at right now to find their halftime spot. Everyone has an Ephesians 2.10 calling. You'll have joy, impact, and balance when you find it. Take the time to figure it out. Dean Newolny, CEO of the Halftime Institute. Thanks for being on iWork for him today. Thanks, Jim. Well, you heard the show. Check him out online, halftime.org. You'll find out all kinds more. You've been listening to I Work For Him with your host, Jim Brangenberg. I'm a Christ follower. My workplace, it's my mission field. But ultimately, I work for him.